My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. what it looks like to a cyclist. The city's very car-based, not just in its layout and in its infrastructure. I mean, if you weren't living in central Halifax or downtown Dartmouth, you pretty much need a car to get around or else you're going to be taking public transport. But, you know, it's not planned very well. The buses don't run very frequently and there is a sort of stigma attached with any sort of transportation. That's the voice of Camilla Fisher. She and Peter Zimmer are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Peter Zimmer and Camilla Fisher are avid cyclists based in Halifax. Both are active with the Halifax Cycling Coalition, an organization committed to making Halifax a safer and all-around better city for cycling. Zimmer has been using a bike to get around since at least the early 1960s and has been involved in the community in lots of different ways over the years. At 80 years old, he's still going strong. He gets around using an e-bike and chairs the coalition. Fisher's involvement in environmental groups started when she was a university student in California in the late 2010s, and she joined the coalition's board a couple of years ago after she returned to Halifax from a year abroad doing a master's degree in the UK. According to the pair, notwithstanding occasional rhetoric to the contrary from the municipal government, Halifax does not have great cycling infrastructure. Or, really, great infrastructure of any sort for all of those people that Zimmer describes as quote-unquote vulnerable road users, meaning everyone getting around the city by any means other than a car. Pedestrians, cyclists, those using mobility devices, transit riders, and so on. Fisher described the city as quote-unquote very car-based, and the two said that outside of the urban core in Halifax and downtown Dartmouth, roads in much of the Halifax regional municipality are not particularly safe for cycling, and many don't even have sidewalks, and transit service is far too limited. The Halifax Cycling Coalition was founded in 2008, in response to a cyclist being killed by a car the year before. Originally started by a small committed group, it gradually grew, and in the mid-2010s was able to obtain some funding and hire an executive director. Precarious and project-based funding and barriers to being able to pay a living wage have meant that staffing has never provided quite the stability and increased capacity that the organization had hoped, and at the time of the interview the coalition was once again working entirely on a volunteer basis. Nonetheless, they have managed over the years to accomplish a great deal. According to Fisher, the coalition's work falls into three broad categories. The first is advocacy. Depending on the issue, this might be focused at the municipal or provincial level, and usually it means supporting, opposing, or otherwise providing input into existing proposals for transportation-related legislation, decisions about road infrastructure, transportation planning, and so on. And they do this advocacy in all of the ways that you would expect. Researching the issue, meeting with politicians, making public presentations to government bodies, publicizing issues and demands through their networks, and doing lots of media work. The second aspect of the coalition's work is education. Over the years, they've offered lots of courses and workshops for residents of Halifax who are interested in everything from the practical basics of urban cycling to the details of specific bike-related issues. They use social media and their newsletter to keep members and supporters up to date and they've produced a cycling guide for the city that has been translated into multiple languages. 
The final aspect of their work is organizing public events, often mass bike rides, to build community and to build the capacity and visibility of the organization. There are lots of ways that the group would like to enhance their work in the future. They want, for instance, to make sure that they're doing as much as they can to focus on the cycling and other transportation needs of low-income and newcomer communities and of parts of Halifax outside of the urban core. They want to shift from being reactive to being proactive in their advocacy. And they're working on ways to be able to hire staff in a more sustainable way and pay them a living wage as a path to growing the group's capacity. I speak with Fisher and Zimmer about the work of the Halifax Cycling Coalition. My name is Camilla Fisher. I joined the Cycling Coalition in 2020 when I moved back home to Halifax after several years abroad. And I took a year-long break to pursue a master's degree in London, but now I'm back kind of in my second year as a board member with the Cycling Coalition. I joined the Cycling Coalition because I really wanted to get involved in some local organizations. And I've always loved cycling. Having lived in California before, I was cycling there where not a lot of people use their bicycles. And I really just liked creating visibility around cycling and wanted to do that on a bigger scale. I'm Peter Zimmer. I'm currently the chair of the Cycling Coalition. I've been bicycling in Nova Scotia since I moved here in 1969. Back in the day when I first started, 10-speed bikes were a real rarity. Bikes on the streets were a real rarity. Glad to say in the last 50 years, it's changed very considerably. There are a lot more cyclists, a lot more bike stores, a lot more traffic, and a lot more drivers as well. So I've become involved in a number of different community efforts around making our streets better for people who bicycle, but also for people who walk or maybe choose to use an e-scooter or have to use a disability scooter. A number of years ago, 2008, I was one of the co-founders of CarShare HFX, which is now Caminato Atlantic and has 150 cars operating here in Halifax. So I'm on all sides of the transportation issue, from motor vehicles on down to being a pedestrian. What is the Halifax community like, both in general and with respect to cycling? When I first arrived in Halifax, I said to my wife, this is the biggest damn small town I've ever been in. Well, it's grown up to being a small city, but a lot of that kind of small town feel, I think, still is part of our makeup. It's sociable in a way that I think is really kind of marvelous. It's attracted me and kept me here over the decades. It's a hilly city. It's an Atlantic coastal city, so we very often don't get very big snowfalls in the winter, but we have ice and slush. Cycling has really grown a great deal, as it has all across the continent. We've seen the city start and plan ambitiously to say, oh, we're going to have an active transportation network that's going to serve everybody. The mayor recently said, oh, we're going to be one of the best cycling cities in the world. Got a long, long way to go to reach those goals. There are a lot of enthusiastic cyclists, and they range across the whole spectrum, from parents teaching their four- and five-year-olds to bicycle, riding on the sidewalks, through to, well, I'm at the other end of the age spectrum. I'm 80. I agree with everything Peter said, especially about it feeling kind of like a small town, except Peter's right. It's a city now, and it's growing, and we're seeing a lot of that growth. And when I look at what it looks like to a cyclist 
the city's very car-based, not just in its layout and in its infrastructure. I mean, if you weren't living in central Halifax or downtown Dartmouth, you pretty much need a car to get around or else you're going to be taking public transport. But, you know, it's not planned very well. The buses don't run very frequently. And there is a sort of stigma attached with any sort of transportation mechanism that's not your car. So there's a kind of this assumption that you need to have a car to live in the city. I live in downtown Dartmouth with my partner and we don't have a car at the moment. Granted, we just moved back here from England, but, you know, we get around fine being able to walk, but that's because we're central. And if we want to get anywhere else, you can bike, but a lot of the streets aren't planned for biking. They're dangerous. You're going on streets that people are driving down really quickly. Cars usually aren't used to seeing bikes around. And there's a lack of people seeing themselves as cyclists. A lot of people might have bikes that they take out in the summertime and they go biking along gorgeous trails that we have. But a lot of people I know that have bikes wouldn't see themselves as a cyclist and they wouldn't be using those bikes for non-recreational purposes. So I think there's kind of a cultural shift that in my eyes needs to happen to make cycling an option for everyone. And that starts with the infrastructure. Because a lot of the reason people don't see themselves as cyclists or use their bikes to get around is because really it's not safe in many places. It's not safe in many places that aren't downtown Halifax or downtown Dartmouth. But the other part of it is, you know, thinking that actually, oh, I can get around on a bike. It's not just something that I use in the summertime with my family to go ride around the block or to ride down a lovely trail. The amount that the city spends on making it safer for the pedestrians, the people who are elderly and walk with a walker or who are blind or who have a hearing disability or a mother with two kids in tow and she's pregnant. No, they aren't doing it. I think safety is the ultimate measure of a good society. If people can use the commons, what the city has built for people to get around on, That is, the streets and the sidewalks and the pathways and the bikeways, they're all part of the commons that everybody should have access to. I don't want to be just confined to a limited number of protected bikeways as I try to get around the city. It doesn't encompass all the places I want to go. All of these different kinds of destinations, I should have the freedom and safety as a cyclist to get there. And that means really fighting to re-engineer the streets to re-engineer the minds of the politicians about what needs to go on. I know neither of you were involved right at the beginning, but tell me what you can about how the Halifax Cycling Coalition got started. I know it was founded in 2008, and I know that this was in response to a fatal collision that happened in 2007. A crash between a motor vehicle and a cyclist, where the cyclist died. That was the impetus for founding the Halifax Cycling Coalition. And there have been several of those really sad and also, I think, preventable deaths in the last several years that people have mobilized behind. They were a starting point for critical mass bike rides, for example, in the city and other kind of outcry and demand around better protection and better infrastructure, safer infrastructure for cyclists, but also pedestrians. It was a volunteer group for its first, I think, four or five, six years, something like that. And it was very largely driven by a very small group. 
And it sort of grew uh, about five or six years ago. Some pieces of funding came its way and it actually started to be able to hire somebody to be an executive director. We've gone through several different executive directors. Partly what they were doing for us meant they were really underpaid. It wasn't really a living wage. And we've struggled with that. We're still struggling with that as an organization, how to find that core funding that will keep us alive without having to have everybody on a short-term contract and paying them less than a living wage. That's a real concern for us. And certainly every time we have another accident, another collision, we seem to attract more membership, more attention. Certainly the city has verbally at least said, oh, we're all in favor of the goal of zero deaths from cycling and pedestrians. Frankly, they've done a very poor job of making much progress on those goals. They don't take it seriously. What kinds of work does the coalition do? I would say that the work that the Cycling Coalition does and has done in the last couple of years that I've been around falls within three categories. The first being advocacy. So that's a lot of the behind the scenes board members and staff putting in work, hours, research, and getting involved with, you know, city councillors, politicians, and presenting at meetings pushing with regards to policy and municipal plans and such. Another part is education. Education to help make cycling more accessible to people, to reduce barriers to cycling. In the past, we've given classes. For example, we call them Urban Cycling 101 is one of our classes that we've offered in the past with partners. People sign up for that and we give them an overview of how to be safe cycling in the city. We educate folks on what the current policies are, what's actually legal, what's not, what you're supposed to be doing, but then also practical advice. So education is a part of it. And that's also our communications. We do a newsletter. We are really active on social media and have many followers there. So that's education about cycling and making cycling more accessible for folks, but also about, you know, what's going on in the province, in the city with regards to cycling and cyclist safety and infrastructure. And the last category I would say we work in, you could label it events, but I see the significance more as community building or capacity building or visibility. So a lot of the events that we host are bike rides. That's clearly something that people look to our organization for and are excited to do, to join us for. We just hosted a big event called iLight Halifax. It's an annual event that we organize, and it's always really successful, maybe our most well-attended event of the year. It happens in November when the days are getting shorter and it's getting darker out earlier, and we encourage people to come out, light up their bicycles. And when you have a lot of people riding in a group, it creates so much visibility. People look out of their windows and see this huge mob of cyclists all lit up in bright colors and reflective vests going together. And it's also really joyful and really nice to be a part of. So we organized several bike rides like that. This summer, we had some called Kittical Mass, where we encouraged parents and children to come out and ride all in a group. And yeah, they serve to build community. The Cycling Coalition together with Ecology Action and Bicycle Nova Scotia, who are the other couple of players within Halifax who are working in similar ways, really can't build infrastructure. We can't build bike paths. So our role really is limited. 
we have to be gadflies and publicists, and we have to praise the people who are doing good work for the city. There's a class that I've taken to call in the vulnerable road users. That's everybody except people who are inside a motor vehicle. So the vulnerable road users are a bigger constituency. And I'm hoping that we can form more visible alliances to talk and say, yes, we are doing events. And it's not just for bicyclists. We're not just saying build more bike lanes. We're saying build safe places for vulnerable road users in every part of the city. There is one project that we're still doing that I think is really great. And that's our little cycling guide. We published it first in English, but we went and found the financing. So we did a translation into Mi'kmaq, the local native language. We translated it into French and Arabic. We're in the process of making translations into Chinese, into Farsi, into Spanish. I think we have a lot of work to do to build viable connections into those communities where we're not just publishing this little book that's in their language, but we're also teaching classes in their language, in their neighborhood, helping make cycling more available, safer for all of these communities to the less affluent communities. A lot of the best of the bike lanes go through the richer parts of Halifax. Surprise, surprise. I think the Cycling Coalition has some building to do, it has a lot of room to grow in serving these communities. And I think that's my five-year goal for the Cycling Coalition, is to get really humming on those levels, to say it's not good enough to make the streets safe in the dense urban core. We have to figure out ways that the streets throughout the city can be linked by cycling or multi-use pathways and make the streets there safer in the outlying areas. Our attention always has to be calling ourselves back to say, well, how does this play in Spryfield? How would this play in Cold Harbor? And look for ways to improve that. Because I think that will make it safer for all of us over the long haul, make our city a better place, save the environment, and, you know, just save the world. Do it with bikes and scooters and walking. One of the questions that I ask myself is what would it take for someone in one of the suburban areas or somewhere that's not the city center to feel comfortable biking to get what they need to get to do what they need to do? What would it take for someone that lives in Bedford to be able to hop on their bike and go get groceries? So we're talking not only about street design, but about urban planning. Where are those destinations? A lot of Halifax's urban planning in the 60s was very car-based and relied on the idea that everyone had a car and nobody really needed to use the streets. A lot of streets don't have sidewalks. And again, that's moving just out of the center, the city. So, you know, one of the questions to ask ourselves is, what would it take for every single person in Halifax to conceivably say, oh, I can go get my groceries riding my bike? And go into more detail about the kinds of things you've been demanding in your advocacy and the kinds of tactics you've been using. A lot of what we have so far been doing is kind of reactive. It's even a trendy notion to talk about zero accident plans, talking about all ages and abilities, cycling networks or transportation networks. But then they start planning the streets. And we have to look at what exactly the planners have done 
And after the planners are done planning and city council says, oh, yeah, that's a good idea for a street with that kind of infrastructure. Then it gets turned over to the engineers who have a whole different picture of what it is their job is. And their job is, in their minds, not all of them, but too many of them, their idea is engineers make cars move quickly and easily. Full stop. And, oh, yeah, then we have to cut into the bits that the politicians say we must do. And we get the feeling that is considered grudgingly and last. It's maddening. It's ridiculous. And I think some of what we need to do more of is really publicize where they are really failing to take into account their own integrated mobility plan, their own all ages and abilities accessibility. What does that really mean? And what do they actually do to put it there? That's the battlefront I want to go on. We need to do better jobs with publicity. Op-eds in the paper, we're doing some of those. They're great. They make some progress. It's like a trickle of sand or you know, erosion of rocks by water. It's a long, slow process. I'd like to find ways for us to speed it up. Some of that is our doing the research of looking around and saying, oh, well, Edmonton has done this. They've got now a better snow clearing standard than we have. They've got a better traffic control standard. They're allowed to do photo ticketing of speeders. And they've just reduced the whole urban speed limit. All of those things will save lives of pedestrians, cyclists, scooter users, and they'll reduce damages and the cost to our hospital system. That's what's needed. Looking at cycling as a public health issue. The streets and vulnerable road users, their mobility and their safety is a public health issue. It's getting to be an emergency. The way that we've done our advocacy that I've observed, it's often project-based and it's person-based. So what I mean by that is that often we'll engage in advocacy when something is already underway, whether it's the rewriting of a provincial traffic safety act, and we'll direct our attention onto that and looking at what can change, what we think should change, and putting a lot of weight behind our opinion of what that new act should look like. Or it could be on a municipal scale, the restructuring of a street you know, construction happening on a certain street and us taking a look at the city's plan for what that's supposed to look like, the end result of that, and saying, actually, we think it could be better. We think that instead of a painted bike lane, this should be a protected bike lane. And so we'll lobby for that. And when I say person-based, in the past when we've had staff and executive director, at the moment we don't, but our executive directors have done a wonderful job of scanning the municipal landscape to see what is happening, what's underway, and getting input in on what's happening based on what we know about best cycling infrastructure practices. And now that we are without a staff, it's often a board member taking on one particular project. Right now, I think the Windsor Street Exchange is being redeveloped, and that's a busy intersection. And so one of our board members, Talan, has taken on that portfolio and is presenting at the Transportation Standing Committee. We have a really wide reach. We have over 200 members, but we have thousands of followers on social media and on our mailing list. So we send out monthly newsletters, and we are really active on social media, typically. For example, we were able to bring attention a couple of weeks ago to an announcement by the city that 
our all ages and abilities bike network that was planned to be completed in 2024 originally as set out in the integrated mobility plan that passed in 2017. Now it is being delayed. It's only 40% completed. There was an interview with a city staffer who said that it might be completed by 2028, which is four years behind what we expected it to be completed by. So this was brought to our attention by one of our members. They came across this article and this interview and said, wow, this is outrageous. And so one of our board members mobilized us all around creating an immediate press response, a press release to respond to this. And because we're the Cycling Coalition and we're kind of the foremost voice around cycling in Halifax, our response, it really means a lot. And it means a lot to the city. And, and we know that. So we were able to write a press release and we spread the word on social media. And all of a sudden, 5,000 people or more are aware that, hey, something's wrong in this city and we should be aware of it. And, you know, lots of people replied in the comments with, oh, wow, I can't believe this. You know, this is terrible. And so we have the power to inform all of those people that this is happening, which then drives a response between the public and the city. So we're able to liaise with city staff and city councillors. Immediately after our press release was released, we were contacted by a city councillor who said, look, let's talk about this. You should present at the next meeting. And they knew. They knew that our press release had an impact because it does, because people want to hear about this. So that's how we get the message out. And that's how we drive further advocacy. We haven't necessarily had the most unified or coordinated approach to advocacy, but certainly we've been impactful where we focus on a single project. Moving forward, I think I would like to see our advocacy more coordinated and more proactive. Like Peter was saying, we can look to other cities and see examples of things that we would like to see in our city. And, you know, rather than waiting on the city's lead and waiting until things are happening for us to say, hey, this can be made better and get our two cents in, I think it'd be really useful for us to start by identifying some things that we think should exist that don't exist and making those happen here. In the near future, with the bike network being delayed, we are calling on the city to look at tactical bike infrastructure that can take the place of more permanent bike infrastructure temporarily in the meantime. We are also getting ready for our winter bike week. That usually revolves around organizing bicycling events, bike rides, and meetups at coffee shops, and even educational events. And basically encouraging people to get their bikes out, even in the winter, and educating folks on what they need to do to bike comfortably in the winter. And I think more medium term, we're looking to see how our organization can be a little more continuous with less staff turnover and build our capacity. We're right now looking into how we can collect enough funding so that we can have a full-time staff and greater capacity to do the work that we need to do and put less of our energy towards applying for grants. You have been listening to my interview with Camilla Fisher and Peter Zimmer about the Halifax Cycling Coalition. To learn more about the group, go to cyclehalifax.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.